0: A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more to help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com.
1: If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it,
2: you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and
0: receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. This is an ode to Napa cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go, baby, go authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. It's the Innovation
2: Podcast with Mark Reed Edwards and Garnett Harriman. Let's start the show. Hi,
0: it's Mark. This week, Garnett and I continue our chat with Peter Stewart of Outlier Capital about opportunity zones. We learn the three most important things to know about them. How Peter is capitalizing on them at Outlier Capital. Some common mistakes. Plus, we get a broader understanding of Opportunity Zones in general. So here it is.
1: What are the most important three things for people to know about Opportunity Zones?
2: Hmm, uh, Good question. Three things that come to mind for me are, first and foremost, remember why the zones were created. When you're evaluating making an investment, remember that the intent was to invest in economically distressed communities and really to hold for the long term. And so when you're evaluating what to invest in, just make sure you understand, okay, how distressed is this community, right? And are there others making investments alongside you that will likely increase the odds that you and your investment will be successful? And then the second thing is making sure that you remember that this is a long-term hold opportunity. So that would be the first thing. The second thing is, and I, I, Garnett, you you mentioned it early on, just the number of funds that are being created. I, I got another one this morning from one of my investors. It's unbelievable. And so remember that this is still an investment. You still need to underwrite the sponsor. You still need to underwrite their investment thesis. You still need to follow all the same protocols that you would if you were buying another stock or investing in another piece of real estate. Don't let the fervor, for lack of a better phrase, uh, you know, take <laughs> over. Uh, and then the, the third thing is what we've been you know mentioning all along, which is there's still a lot we don't know. You know, a few things that come to mind are we mentioned about the time for a fund to make an investment. As it relates to real estate, we still don't know how a refinance event is going to be treated. Right. We're still looking for clarity on depreciation, on recapture. So there's a lot that has yet to be decided. And when you're making an investment, just folks need to be aware of that.
1: Hey, is there another, um, there's another check-in point, right? Um, sometime mid-April or something, there's another update or, uh, yes. or, or 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 release or something, right?
2: Yes, I think that's correct. And the other thing that I would just mention to folks, and, and we can put some of the resources in the notes of this podcast, but the good news is there's a ton being written about this. And there are a lot of great firms that are Publishing their research, their ideas, their observations. And so it will be easy for folks to kind of keep in touch with this as it goes along.
1: Great tips. Appreciate those. How is Outlier Capital specifically thinking about capitalizing on the o zones? I've heard them refer to?
2: Yeah. So we've looked at a number of different things. But today, what we're most interested in is finding zones where there is already catalytic investment is the term that I like to use, but where either public-private partnerships exist, or there are these big investments being made in infrastructure, in mixed-use development. A great example in D.C. is the St. Elizabeth's project in Southeast. There was just a stadium built for the Wizards and Mystics to practice, a, I should say, practice facility and stadium. And then now there's a, a lot of mixed-use development going on. And that's an opportunity zone. And I, I think what, what our thesis is, is we will, the, the likelihood of us being successful in a 10-year hold investment becomes incrementally higher if we're investing alongside other smart you know, institutional investors. And so we're looking at opportunity zones like that in DC. We're looking at an opportunity zone investment down in Richmond right now and another popular neighborhood in, in Richmond where there's a lot going on. So that's how we're thinking about it today. That's great.
1: I have been looking at participating in some way I'm not sure how just yet just just so you know Peter at some newly created investment opportunities that seem to fit the opportunity zone model uh, in Los Angeles in, in South LA in, in particular and all of these issues that you're bringing up about how to do it in an intelligent way, how to risk mitigate and, and how, to, how to create the right partnership ecosystem around um, not only co-investors, but also government, community, nonprofits, religious organizations, uh, all of that stuff is sort of front and center in the dialogues I've, I've participated in. So I want to move on to, you know, every silver lining has a cloud. So I want to, I want to move on to, to a, sort of a, you know, a, a different part of the, of the podcast where we talk about what can go wrong, <laughs> you know, uh, what, what, what mistakes do you think investors can make if they invest in opportunity zones? And how do you avoid that?
2: Yeah, and I, I think a lot of this, you know, goes back to what what I was saying earlier around you really have to know what you're investing in, right? And are you investing in, because there's so many of these popping up, are you investing in a fund? If it is a a fund and it's commingled, what are all the asset types? Is there, you know, a geogra- you know, specific geography that they're investing in? Uh, what is their investment thesis? I think a mistake that folks can make is not really understanding what they are buying (laughs) And and what the fund is going to buy. And in addition to that, I would encourage folks to really do your homework on who you're investing with. Now, there are big investment funds out there that you know traditional cast of characters that are all going to create these funds. I'm sure the Blackstones, the Carlisles, all now some of them have held off to date because again, there's still new rules coming out and they want to wait until all of that is set before launching. But there are, you know, big institutional players that are doing, but there are also lots of folks that aren't big and institutional. And if that is the case, you know, you need to underwrite the sponsor. You need to Make sure they have a track record in doing what they're planning on doing. And then the other thing to remember is if you are going to be invested with them for the next 10 years, you know, assuming you want to get the full benefit, are they going to be around in 10 years? (laughs) You want want to make sure that they're, you know, they're still going to be here and, you know, you you want to make sure that you agree with their investment thesis. And, and, you know, the, the biggest way to avoid, I think, mistakes is... You know, seek counsel from experts, right? Talk with your accountant, uh, talk with your lawyer, talk with, you know, if you're if you're thinking about making an investment into real estate in an opportunity zone fund with a new sponsor, a new company, talk to someone you know that is in the same business, maybe not in that opportunity zone or not in that geography, but who might be able to look at that deal for you and say, Okay, this looks okay. Or I would be concerned about this, this, or this. To me, those are uh, it's it's a it's a do your homework assignment. You know that's that's really what it is.
1: Yeah, all of that makes perfect sense and that's great advice. And spoken like a true fiduciary, you know, understands his his responsibilities. I want to continue down this path of what could go wrong or or the potential downside of this, you know, uh, much investment opportunity and. I want to read you a, a quote from uh, a community group in Seattle's Chinatown district. The uh, executive director of that group called a spate of OZ funds sprouting up in Seattle. A lot of it funded by, you know, Microsoft employee or Microsoft alumni money. Basically referred to the whole concept as it, it could be a total gentrification machine. And she was speaking to, I think it's Geekwire. And we'll have uh, we'll have as Peter mentioned the, the the notes and the URLs to all of these things in, in in the notes to the podcast. And she goes on to speak about displacement and all of the evils of you know traditional real estate investment in urban areas or underprivileged areas. What are your thoughts on this in terms of gentrification and displacement and you know participation in wealth creation versus you know e- exclusion? What do you think about all this?
2: Yeah. Well, it- First comment would be: We're going to need another podcast. Well, yeah. You know, <laughs> when, when you when you ask a developer about gentrification, I mean the the, the can of worms, the Pandora's box you open. I know. We're going to mark extend the podcast. We, <laughs> well,
1: well, do we, well, well, do do this. Let's take this. Let, let's let's know that we're just t- scratching the surface. But let's be fair on the pro and con side of things. Yeah. Like 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 you seem to be a about you know your well thought out answers on everything else. So yeah.
2: you know pros and cons. Yeah, and and I'll <laughs> say first, I think it's important for us to define what gentrification is, just for the folks listening. Sure. And when I think of gentrification, and I you know that article you mentioned, it's really an influx of middle class or more affluent folks into oftentimes emerging neighborhoods. And the process of you know new buildings popping up, new businesses, pop, new retail, and that, as you mentioned, Garnett, displacing the folks that lived there before, which you know oftentimes are not as affluent as the people coming in. And so, when I think of gentrification, that's what it is, and it's an exceptionally challenging issue for developers, for communities, for. Government officials. I mean, it, 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 it's challenging for everyone. So, sure. pros and cons. I, I think the unique part about opportunity zones are, again, this ability to not only invest in real estate, but also in the businesses and the need for those businesses to generate the bulk of their income or at least 50% from that opportunity zone. And I think it's really incumbent upon the community stakeholders. And when I say that, I mean, not only the community groups, not only the developers, not only the business owners, the politicians, the, you know, in in DC, it's the, you know, the office of planning, it's the board of zoning, it's, uh, you know, it's important for all of those groups to come together and talk about, the future of that neighborhood, and what's important to each of those groups, and how they can together make that a reality. Because in in my experience as a real estate developer, where you see the friction is when there is not that when that conversation doesn't happen.
0: And we saw that we saw that just recently in um, in Long Island City. Oh, right,
2: that's a good one. Yeah, when the conversation yeah. isn't open, you you have suboptimal results. And so I think you know, to answer your question, Garnett, the pro is a tremendous amount of capital is going to come into these zones. The con <laughs> is a tremendous amount of capital, but,
0: you know, right, exactly. but, but it is set
2: up in a way in that you know the, the investment in not only real estate, but also business, where I think it can be successful if the community and all the stakeholders participate in an open dialogue, which is challenging. That That's not an easy ask. Change is tough. It's it's up to the stakeholders to, to work together to make sure the result is what they all want and can live with.
0: If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit vitalent.org today.
1: So, Let's let's drill down on this a little bit because I think it's worth getting some more detail around some of the ideas and concepts that are floating around that could be some of those solutions that you were referring to. So I've been, I've been tracking a group called Smart Growth America and their admirable research and advocacy and policy formulation attempts. And th- I think they're based in your neck of the woods, Peter. I think they're based down in D.C. It wouldn't surprise um, me. <laughs> uh, right, exactly, and and so they've come up with some interesting research. Some of the research they have thrown into the mix is fueling some of the concern of community groups. And you know, part of the findings, the the really sort of big picture findings that they're coming out with in, in this research, is this mantra that I, I think is worth exploring a little bit. Their, their mantra is um, de- development without displacement. And they get into some detail, but not a lot of detail. Well, gee, what a surprise with, with people who are, you know, advocating for one policy or another, right? That they're, that they're missing some (laughs) operational, operational details. But I want to throw into the mix a couple of things that I've seen that are kind of interesting from the standpoint of maybe thought leadership, God forbid, in operationalizing this mantra, development without displacement. So. One of the things I've been thinking about for a while, I uh, Peter. I had some contact years ago. A, a buddy of mine that that I, I did the Coro Foundation fellowship with uh, many years ago, went on to do uh, much more like high profile things than I've ever done in my life or ever will do. She became a um, a MacArthur Genius Grant winner. She's famous for having invented a decade and a half ago the, the concept of like urban gardening and and like urban agriculture, I think it's called now, and stuff like that. And so uh, I was working with her in the Bronx, New York, on essentially uh, an affordable housing project. And, you know, this notion of like displacement and all that stuff came up. And someone threw, you know, I'm sitting at, at a table of very illustrious architects, investors, and policy leaders, and a local official. And someone threw into the mix, hey, what would happen if, some of the two things got thrown in that I, I think could be fun to explore here. One was whatever the local businesses are, they could be automobile garages, they could be catering companies, they could be restaurants, they could be, I mean, in a different world if, if the IRS agrees to it, they could be, you know, legal cannabis dispensaries. But what, what if we put aside some of the development funds? Um, that would, you know, have gone into the real estate project solely. But what if we just invest them into these enterprises and use these definitions to make sure that the money stays in the community and create jobs and create wealth sharing and, and that sort of thing? That's one. I want to I give you both of these and then ask you to comment on either or both. And then the second thing is, what if we created essentially, as in Monopoly, the game Monopoly, a community chest, hmm. just a sidecar fund? that would essentially be a holding bin for some small amount of the return that the real estate investors would typically get? And what if we created some sort of local investment organization so that the community itself could use those funds for however they saw fit? So two off the cuff, you know, not fully defined concepts, but I'm, I'm curious how you think, you know, either one could be relevant or, or if, if, even if they're relevant.
2: Yeah, I, I think you you hit on a couple really important points and opportunities. And the thing that comes up for me is as investors go into these communities, ensuring that they realize that there are already great community resources and organizations there. And I think that's kind of your question about you know community chest, right? Yeah, uh, there are in in many of these communities already organizations that are impact investment organizations, that are there doing small loans to local businesses. And so I I think it's, again, incumbent upon the stakeholders in that community and the new Opportunity Zone funds that come in to seek out the relevant actors in that community already and work with them to accelerate and utilize their access and knowledge of that community to better the community and ultimately, if you know if I'm an investor in that opportunity zone fund, better the odds that my opportunity fund dollars will increase in value. Because ultimately, if you know the more folks working together to improve the community, the more value creation there will be. And I think that gets me to the second thing that I, I think you were touching on, which is there needs to be the support and programs in place when businesses are created so that the folks that live in those communities that don't have the relevant skill sets can learn those skill sets and take you know take part in 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 the in the wealth creation right that's
1: a good one that's a really good one Workforce development, workforce training, you know, all all of that stuff has to be integrated into not only the real estate piece, but also any kind of enterprise investing or business investing that's going on.
2: Yes. And I think that your comment is right on in that the more and this can be, you know, going back to how can investors better evaluate investment opportunities. Is what is the group that you're investing in thinking about it in those holistic terms? Good point. Right? Are they yep. reaching out to all the relevant stakeholders in that market or those markets and really thinking about it holistically instead of you know what I'm I'm buying the corner of X and Y streets and I'm going to build an apartment building and you know it's going to be there for ten years. <laughs> right? right? You know I think the odds the odds of success are much higher if you're investing in a group that's saying. Well, I'm engaging this group and that group, and we've got a public-private partnership here, and that that starts to feel a lot better in terms of you know the odds of being successful over the long term. Yeah,
1: it's interesting that you restated it earlier. You talked about risk mitigating by uh, essentially you know having good and dependable and you know insightful co-investors, you know on on the real estate side, and 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 fundamentally, I think if you're going to do this right. You have to treat all of those organizations, those, those non-real estate, you know, organizations that we're talking about, government, community, religious, you know, local businesses. You actually have to treat them like Mm co-investors. And the upshot is exactly the same. It's risk mitigation. You know, it's upside amplification, right? So that's a really interesting thing that came out of the way you restated it. I'm very curious about urban versus rural opportunity zones. And so. Do you think the opportunity zones that are in rural areas are actually going to attract money? And what what kinds of uh, investments do you think are are going to work?
2: So I'll I'll give you one anecdote in that I know someone who is putting together an opportunity zone fund to invest in a rural area, the rural opportunity zone. And can you say can you say which state it is? Or uh, New York. And okay, and, and what they are. And what they are doing is they're they are planning on building a farm, and so that I think that's one example of how folks are going to take advantage of it. But you know, as as an urban investor, I <laughs> for the, for the most part, I'm not sure. But that's just one item that I've heard of. I'll add something to that. I just
1: heard about a group, and I want to say they're in the northwest. I don't remember which state, it's either Oregon or Washington or but they're operating in a rural area and their modal or their sort of target investment is solar farms and mm. solar arrays and, and stuff like that. And that actually makes a lot a lot of sense. Uh, I, I haven't seen a lot written. I don't know about you, Peter, but I haven't seen a lot written about the sort of granular details of the types of investments that are going to be made in rural opportunity zones. That, that's kind of why I was curious to, to see what you had heard.
2: Yeah, I, I haven't either. I just know of that, that one example.
1: Okay. So one last question, and it's more about continuing the education and the self-education. Where should investors go to learn more? And how do they stay on top of this fast-moving, fast-evolving, biggest investment opportunity of our lifetime, or whatever Forbes called it?
2: <laughs> the best tax break ever. Yeah, that's it. ever. Uh, Period. <laughs> <laughs> so again, like I mentioned, the great thing here is that there are a ton of resources out there. I'll just list a few, and we can add them to the show notes. The first one is uh, there, if you're looking for an opportunity zone map, Steve Glickman, the gentleman I mentioned that used to be at EIG. He started a advisory company and it's called Develop Advisors. So you can go to developadvisors.com. They have an amazing map with all the zones and uh, where there are hospitals and universities and great, great resource there. Novogratic, which is a a accounting firm, has a whole, uh, they call it their Opportunity Zone Resource Center, which has a tremendous amount of information. So I'd encourage everybody to go there. You know, as I mentioned, certainly, you know, speak with your your accountant, your lawyer. The other thing that I will uh, mention is uh, the company Fundrise has a great, and we can put this in the notes, is they have a great calculator that shows you what the actual dollar benefit uh, would be to you if you invest a certain amount of money. And they'll show it over those four buckets. So that's that's a fun tool if you as an investor are evaluating, okay, I've got $50,000 of gain or $100,000 of gain, what does that mean over the next 10 years? I've been posting and tweeting about this. So you can look me up on LinkedIn or you can, my Twitter handle is at Peter Outlier, and I'll be you know posting more things as well. So hopefully that's helpful.
1: Hey, and don't forget to put in a, sh- a shameless plug for Outlier Capital. What's, what's the website for Outlier Capital?
2: Sure, it's just www.outliercap.com. Okay,
1: that was good and shameless. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to put in a shameless plug just for Oz. Actually, I, I think opportunity zones are are, are going to be an amazing opportunity. Hopefully, Peter and Mark, it's also going to be an opportunity for thought leadership and for uh, unleashing a wave of innovation in areas that have been traditionally neglected by a lot of uh, sophisticated investors, and hopefully a lot of good comes from it. Maybe that's a great place to
0: evolve. I think it's uh, an interesting thing that we should check back in with Peter maybe in about six months and see how things are going and see how this has developed in that period of time.
1: Yeah, I want to see if he put all that money to work.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, absolutely well hopefully we'll have a, a couple of of live projects to to talk about and you know obviously garnett and mark grateful to be on and and chat with you all today and i think the more all of us are talking about this, the the better. That That's the way we start.
1: Peter, thank you so much for being on the show and, and for bringing this, this wealth of information and, and all of your insights and all of your guidance to, you know, this evolving area of opportunity for all of us.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, guys.
0: Next time, Garnett and I chat a bit more about Opportunity Zones and Impact Investing with Lane Jost, who handles responsible business leadership at PwC. In the weeks ahead, we'll be talking with Mark Gallagher about innovation in the world of F1, Daniel Ray about the innovation he heads up at Ultimate Guitar, Francesca Gino of Harvard Business School about how rebels can help a company embrace innovation, and we're also planning discussions with experts in elder tech and esports. So, stay tuned.
2: Thanks for joining Garnett and Mark on the Innovation Podcast. Visit innovationpodcast.co to subscribe and listen to other episodes.
1: You stay home for the greater good. Secondhand smoke doesn't. It drifts through cracks in walls, air vents, and sink drains, spreading toxic chemicals that can damage lungs. Secondhand vape also puts your lungs at risk. Even with the fruity smells. Protect yourself and the people around you from these secondhand dangers. Learn how at tobaccofreeca.com.